In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today, we are commemorating the fathers that gathered at the Seventh Ecumenical Council. And the epistle that we heard is assigned to every time that we commemorate our holy and God-bearing fathers who held up the truth of our faith against the opinions and the heresies and errors of others. In the Seventh Ecumenical Council, they upheld the truth of the incarnation of God and our ability to depict Him in paintings and in the artwork of the church. But what I want to focus on today is the completeness of what is given to us in the church. And the epistle that was selected, or selection of the epistle that we read, is from the epistle to Titus. And in this little ending that we got, we're reading just the ending of the epistle of Titus. That's what we heard. The last instructions of St. Paul to Titus and the church in Crete. And what I want to bring out is the wholeness that was given to the people of Crete. A whole and complete church with nothing lacking. And this is really summed up in that first phrase that we heard from the epistle. And that is this. Titus, my son, the saying is sure, I desire you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to apply themselves to good deeds. And this is exactly what our Lord wants us to do because of who he is and what he has done. So let's begin with how we can see that this epistle gives us what I will call and what the fathers sometimes call the divine ordering of the church. How it is complete and every part of this epistle shows us in dogma, in sacrament, and in our moral life that they all click together and without one of them, the others it would not be whole and complete. So let's begin with who is Titus? Why is there even a letter to Titus? Titus was one of the early disciples of Christ. There's some speculation that he was among the crowds, and for sure, the church tradition holds up that he was there present at Pentecost as the descent of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps he was already a believer in Christ, but he had not yet received baptism and the Holy Spirit at that event. So he was there when Peter preached, this is the wholeness of the gospel, this is Jesus Christ. And he was there when he received that first baptism of the multitudes and the reception of the Holy Spirit at the hands of the apostles and especially of Peter. And then Titus, as the book of Acts says, went home. All of these people from all over the world went home, and Titus's home was the island of Crete. And so what we can gather is that Titus went and began giving that same gospel that he heard from Peter's mouth to all the people in Crete. And we also know that he traveled with St. Paul. He's mentioned in a few of his epistles, and here we have a whole epistle written directly to him. So from these scattered facts from our holy tradition and what we can see in Scripture, and that there is an epistle written to him and the contents of that epistle, which we'll focus on in just a little bit, 
we see that Titus is the overseer of the church in Crete. St. Paul has given the church of Crete their bishop. And this epistle is the guide for Titus to organize and give that whole and complete church and to spread that gospel and give them churches throughout the island of Crete. So this epistle is an instruction, not only to Titus as the bishop of the island of Crete, but because it's an epistle that was read widely, it is for every church person, a part of the church of Crete, and because it is in the scriptures, it is for each and every one of us today. So the words that we get to overhear as Paul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking to one of his bishops applies in some measure to each of us, especially these last instructions. So it is a guide for the ordering of the church and how Titus is to guide that church with the apostolic blessing. And the whole church gets to overhear this pastoral letter of Paul to one of his bishops. What we see here is that first, Paul is concerned with the preservation of the sacraments of the church in the epistle of Titus. He gives a listing of how Titus should look for men who will be presbyters and elders of the churches. What should their life be like so that the church can flow from the sacramental life? All of those who are baptized, all of those who have a role, an ordained role as presbyters, and even the bishops, we can see what it is, the whole and complete church, all of us together given to the church in Crete in this, in this epistle to Titus. And then after setting this up, we see that uh, St. Paul is concerned with making sure Titus is picking moral men to lead these churches. And he states all of these qualifications, which I encourage you to read. This is a very short epistle. You can see it all in just the first two chapters. It is a guiding instruction for Titus so that the church can stay within that divine order that the Apostle Paul has given them that flows from Christ. And then lastly, as we heard today, he tells how to deal with those who have disagreements in the church. And Paul calls them stupid controversies. And really, all the fathers say that these are those who have not believed the apostolic deposit. They are those who would fight with St. Paul himself there are those who would fight with the Lord himself about who he is and what he has accomplished. And we know this because what we have just heard, where we began our epistle, Titus, my son, the saying is sure. The saying is sure is a very, very important phrase in what we have heard. Because what, has what comes just before that is a listing of all the accomplishments of Jesus Christ and how each and every Christian enters those. So it's worthwhile to pause and sort of backtrack from where the church picked up and hear what that first apostolic phrase that we heard in the epistle is. The saying is sure, what saying is he even talking about? And who is he talking about, as we'll see in a minute? So that pericope picks up. But what we hear in Titus 3, verses 4 through 8 is this, and it's worthwhile reading. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in the hope of eternal life. And then St. Paul says, this saying is sure. So what Paul is teaching Titus and teaching all of us through being able to overhear this is that the beginning of our Christian life is in our baptism, it is in our chrismation, and that is how we enter into the life of Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, and that becomes the foundation of our whole life and how we enter into eternal life and how we enter into the activity of Christ and his divine economy, his salvific works how we can even become, as St. Nikolai says, partakers of that salvific work and participants in it. The saying is sure. In the Greek, this actually is pistos o logos, which is, we could hear it not just as this saying is sure, as if it's just, oh, that's a good word, or that is a good thing to say, or that it's like a good contract. But we miss it, when it was translated this way, because it can also be translated as faithful is the word. Everything that St. Paul has just listed for Titus is Jesus Christ and his work. And then he sums all that up in this beautiful two or three words, pistos o logos, faithful is the word. You can hear this and you should hear this as faithful is the word of God to us. What St. Paul says in beginning this and where the church picks up in this is it is a summation and a praise of what was just stated. It connects as its reason for existence for the instructions that is to follow the works of Christ that we are to apply ourselves to good deeds because God is good and look at what he did for us. He came down from heaven. He saved us. He died on the cross and he gave us a regenerating baptism and his Holy Spirit. So faith is tied to the word of God in this simple phrase. Jesus Christ here is given as a connective tissue, if you will, of the activity of the body of Christ. Faith is what Christ is to us and where we must place our trust in order to accomplish anything that is good. St. John Chrysostom says this, since on account of his speaking of things future, not of the present, he added therefore that it is worthy of credit and it is manifest for what has gone on before that he delivered us from so many evils and he will assuredly impart in us the good things to come. This means that we have entered into the justification of Christ by our baptism, by our chrismation, and that we are promised that by living out that baptism and by that chrismation, in that sacrament, and in the spiritual reality that, that is imparted to us, that we can become actually good and gain actual eternal life of the Godhead in us. And so St. Paul is connecting all of these things and saying, you have been given everything. You have been given the church. You have been given the sacraments. And this is how you are to live it out, to apply yourselves to good deeds that are birthed from all that our Lord has given you. So St. Paul is 
careful to show that what is the true divine ordering of the church. Good deeds that are truly good, that are free, are not coming from things just out of the ether, but they are coming from our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and that we have the privilege and the joy to be able to partake and participate in that. And then he gives this admonition, Paul to Titus, an instruction that really applies to all Christians. And it's worthwhile to pause here and see what it is behind apply yourselves to good deeds as we heard today. This word is really meaning to go practice these good deeds. Apply is a good word, but practice. This is an ongoing effort of the church. It means that we get to act and practice as the body of Christ. It is something that we do, not something simply that we believe not simply something that we can acknowledge and then carry on, but that it is the being a Christian is a practice. It is a practice, something we do to be like Christ. This is our living out of the salvation Christ gained for us that Paul has listed. And it is a living out of the mercy that has been applied to us, and then we get to spread to others, which we entered into in our baptism and our chrismation. In some ways, this phrase we can read as a negation of what some have called salvation by faith alone, or sola fide. Because God has saved us in and through his incarnation, we have the grace to struggle to become virtuous, to make ourselves the partakers of this salvific work that has been given to us. It is accomplished, but we also need to live it, to become real to ourselves and to God to become like true Christians, little Christs in the world. And then Paul says and gives his warning. Those stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels over the law. He says they are all fruitless. They are all distractions. But what if we apply ourselves to good deeds, then these things will not be robbed from us. The good things. Being actually good will not be robbed from us. There are so many distractions in the world, so many times that we can get riled up over a controversy within the borders of the church, over who comes from where and why they are doing what they're doing, and then we quarrel and we dissent, and then we are at odds with one another, and God forbid, even at each other's throats. But if we follow that divine ordering, we live out our baptism, we live out our chrismation, then all heresy, all schism, all contention, all separation from Christ is laid aside. And this is what Paul is telling his bishops to guide us to do. To return to St. John Chrysostom, he sums up this way, what great boldness that we might have. That they wait not for those who are in want to come to them, but that they take pains and seek out diligently those who need their assistance. This is the mark of a Christian. For in doing good actions, it is not those who receive the kindness that are benefited, so much as those who do it and make gain and profit, for it gives them boldness toward God. This is simply our element of acting like Christ. He didn't wait for us. He came and acted to save us and grant us that mercy and then gave us all. And we as Christians are called in our measure to find a way to do that, not passively wait for it, but to actively pursue it so that we can be like Christ. 
So my brothers and sisters today, we're reminded that our God did not wait around for us to begin his good work to save us. He came and gave us all. We Christians have entered that work by the church and the sacraments, and that faith is the most reliable and sure thing in existence. Let us not get caught up in dissension, quarrel, controversy, or be dragged down and immobilized. Rather, let us be faithful as Jesus Christ, the Lord and God, is faithful, and by that faith seek out and hunt down ways to give good, the good works of Jesus Christ that is salvation that we are living within to all people. Go look at gifts that you have been given and then give them out to others. Go find the naked, the thirsty, the hungry, those in need of shelter. Find the man lost in a passion that consumes his life and bring him to Christ and give him Christ that he may receive the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus Christ and enter the divine and blessed order that he gave us and by which all truly good works flow. So let us close with this prayer seeking this. O Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, the fountain of immortality and all good works, illumine us, guide us to live out the regeneration by water and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit given to us that we may at all times maintain good works and practice them and become partakers of your salvific work at all times. For you are a good God and love mankind. Amen.